0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now, for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. I'm going to change gears on you here. I need you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be looking at both Paul's comments to uh, the church in Corinth. We read, or just had read for us, 1 Corinthians 16. In the last chapter of his first letter, and we're going to be jumping over to 2 Corinthians for just a moment. And so if you open your Bibles to chapter 8, I'll explain how this all fits together. The one thing I want to say as we begin is, please remember that Paul is not in this letter to the churches going, oh, and by the way, let's talk about this. He's actually stringing together his concept of what it means to be unified in Christ, to live out the wisdom of God, and to accomplish the purposes of this cruciformed life. So... The more I think about my life, the more I begin to identify that when I was younger, I was a brat. I'm probably the only one who's concluded that, but I was. There were moments in my life I look back and I, I ask myself the question my parents were asking me, why did you do that? And I'm not really sure why, except I was immature or selfish and a combination of both. But growing up, as many of you have heard me say for years now, I'm one of four boys. There were, there were three of us born within five years of one another, and then my little brother was born six years later. So he really didn't experience much of what the three of us did. But one of the things I remember growing up, when we were old enough, we had to do dishes after dinner. And now because of that, there was no dishwasher because my dad said they gave birth to three, so he didn't need to buy one. And he thought he was really funny. But my dad had a theory, and this is how our system worked, that we just did it in rotation. One night you scraped, or he called it ridding the dishes up, which is so grammatically improper, but you you scraped the dishes, you rinse the dishes, you stacked the dishes that were dirty, and then someone came in after you were done, and they washed the dishes and put them in the rack, and then someone came in after they were done and dried the dishes and put everything back where it went, and this is the system. So if you got the dishes ready one night, the next night you were the dishwasher, and the following night you were the dryer and put her away, right? makes simple sense. But because there were three boys, and we were all within five years' age of one another, we didn't always get along well. So one of two things would happen. We would either get goofing around and break things, or we would fight. And so my parents just worked it out that none of the three of us could be in the kitchen at the same time. So in this rotation, one person went in, they were extracted, the next person went in, he was extracted until the job was done. Now, I tell you all that, but I know you don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyway. One particular time, I was in a pouting mood. See, I believe, still to this day, I believe there was a conspiracy that every night that I had to wash the dishes, we had macaroni and cheese. And that nasty stuff would cling to whatever casserole dish mom would make it in. And if she just mixed the craft kind in a pan on the stove, that was the worst thing ever. I would rather have taken my allowance and bought her a new pan than to try to clean that stupid thing. And then there were certain nights that I would get the fried pork chops and macaroni and cheese, and I knew my parents didn't love me at all. Now, my parents would tell you, because I was a brat, I could pout. I think I have the spiritual gift of pouting. I still have it. I fight it, but I still have it. And my parents knew what day it was that I had to wash dishes by the way I woke up, how I grumbled, how my bottom lip stuck out, how I was just a snot the entire day. And they used to make fun of it, which always was so helpful, but they could tell when it was dishwashing day. And I remember one particular night that we had pork chops and mac and cheese, and I love pork chops. I, it's one of my favorite meals of all time, except when I had to clean up after it. And that night we had pork chops and we had mac and cheese. And I was pouting and I was ticked. And I simply said to my dad, my brother got all the dishes ready. And he said, the dishes are ready to be washed. And my mom and dad were home. My dad would work odd shifts. So when he was home at night, it was special. And they were sitting down the basement. I went down in the family room and I said, can I do the dishes tomorrow? And surprise of all surprise, my dad said, okay. And I thought, oh my gosh, the sun came up. The flowers were growing in winter. Dogs were dancing in our park or in our driveway. It was a celebration of all celebrations. I thought, sweet. And my disposition changed. They said I became nice and social. I went to bed. I was so excited. I knew when I came home from school I'd have to do the dishes. But that was hours from now. And then I remember getting off the school bus, and and I lived in a neighborhood which was so blessed, just a bunch of boys my age. And so after school, we'd all run in, change out of our school clothes. That's a concept that's been lost. But I'd change out of my school clothes and put on my play clothes, and we would go out. And whatever sport was in season, we would go play basketball or football or baseball. Whatever it was, we would all meet in someone's yard and go play. That particular day, I was like, ooh, bad choice last night. I didn't get to go play ball. Then I went in the house, and I saw the dishes still piled up. The, The dish angel didn't show up and clean it. They were all there as they were left the night before. And I learned a valuable lesson that day. I learned a huge lesson that day. It took me, this is no exaggeration, it took me the entire time from when I got home to school until mom was ready to make dinner that night to get those dishes cleaned and put away and dried and everything that needed to be done. I learned a huge lesson that day. The why is as important as the how. You see, what my parents let me learn, because I was hard-headed, was if you take care of what needs to be taken care of immediately, it's not lingering and it's a lot easier. I remember scraping that frying pan and that casserole dish to get all that out because my parents would inspect it before we could put it away. And my mom walked upstairs. She wasn't being mean. She's like, no, honey, that's not clean enough. She needed that casserole dish for what she was making for dinner tonight. And I remember working two, it seemed like two, two and a half hours to get all those dishes clean. I learned a huge, huge lesson. Get your work done. Take care of what needs to be taken care of immediately, and it always goes better than when you delay and you wait. I learned that in college too, and that's another story. You see, when you understand the why, the how makes more sense. And I want us to understand this. When we understand the why of what God asks us, the how is a blessing. When you try to do the what of God without understanding the why behind it, The how can be punitive. So my parents taught me a huge lesson. It's a lesson, and I'm not exaggerating. I still think of regularly. Get it done. I'm a list guy. I wake up every day. Here's three things I need to do, and I prioritize them by the ugly to the fun. And you kill the ugly first so that you can enjoy the third one. And then at the end of your day, you feel like you accomplished something. We're gonna talk about something that God, through Paul, is calling all of us to do. But if you don't understand the why... The how can become troublesome. But let's look at the why. Paul is writing this letter, as we know, to a group of people in Corinth. There had been a famine in the land. It's recorded in the book of Acts. And it was really striking the church. Not that it was a persecution on the church, but the church were not always the wealthy and famous in the community. They were some of the poor, the blue-collar workers. And the famine was striking, and it was hurting the church, specifically the churches in Jerusalem. And so Paul writes to the people of Galatia and Rome and Corinth, and he says, I'd like to collect up an offering from those of you to help our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem do ministry and to care for one another and to be the people God's called us to be. Remember, the people in Corinth struggled with being disunified, with the haves and the have-nots, with the important people and the unimportant people. So Paul writes them in this letter when he's talking about unity and the the wisdom of God found through the cross of Jesus Christ— He talks about sacrifice. That's why Paul's talking about money here, because he's connecting it to the purposes we all have, to sacrifice for the work of the kingdom, to be partners in the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter, and he's talking about the why they give, and then before he talks about how they give. You see, the offering centers around the grace of God and the way that his grace flows through us. This is why God asks us to serve. This is why God asks us to give. This is why God asks us to pray. This is why God asks us to study. This is why God asks us of everything. When we know the why, the how can be a blessing. If we don't understand the why, the the how of it all becomes a curse. And I just want to remind you, maybe some of you are joining us in this series later in as you've come back to the public worship or joining us online. This whole series is how the man on the cross and the work on the cross changes us, how it forms us. And the cross compels us to give. We know this because even in verse 3 of chapter 16, and we'll get back there in just a moment, but in chapter 16 of the first letter, he uses the word gift, which is actually the word grace. That the grace of God is what helps us understand the why behind what we do. But let's go ahead and look at it, and we'll look at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We begin with the why. We give out of an abundance of grace, we give out of an abundance of grace. This is the decider whether or not you and I are giving. We give when we know we've been blessed by God. We won't give if we think it's ours, that this is what we've earned. This is what we've accomplished. This is what we have done. Verse one of chapter eight. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Paul's using an example of another group of believers, and he said, when I came to them and said, there's an opportunity to bless other people, they were more than generous. In fact, they were troubled in their generosity. They started giving too much. In verse 7, he says to the people in Corinth now, but since you excel in everything, in faith, and speech, and knowledge, and complete earnestness, and the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I love this. Paul is going back and saying, remember how in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of this letter, that they were thinking that they were somebodies because they spoke in tongues or they prophesied or they healed and they did these amazing things. Paul said, that's amazing that God has gifted you in this way. He's also going to gift you in being generous and being sacrificial. How? Because you've received grace. Verse nine, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Remember, we're being shaped by the cross, right? Generosity is not what a church asks of its people so that we can pay our bills. Generosity is what God does in people when they understand grace. So we need to come to grips with the fact that we live in a world that we're torn. That yes, we have to care, care for ourselves and yes, we have to protect ourselves and yes, we have to look out in our best interest. All of this is true. But our hearts can be persuaded away from God. And it's when the grace of God becomes real to us and important to us that generosity becomes second nature to us. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me again. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, I'm not a math major, but if you take verse 2, logically, that doesn't add up. That under their own severe trial, they had overflowing joy with incredible poverty and it caused them to be generous. Well, how can you be generous when you're in extreme poverty? Because the amount doesn't matter. It's the faith behind it. It's the grace that you offer. It's the grace that you give. They were in extreme poverty They were taking up money for a church in famine when they themselves were in famine. They saw others' needs. This is what Paul has been telling the people of Corinth over and over. You must look beyond your own freedom, your own rights, your own interests to what serves the common good. And he uses the people of Macedonia and the the Christians in that area to give a perfect example. And then in verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I am showing you what's possible, Paul says. I'm not commanding you to do this because love should not be commanded. Love should be offered. Love should be freely given. He said, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. Remember that our generosity comes from either a firm understanding of the grace of God in our lives or it doesn't. So we realize here that what Paul is teaching us simply is that out of the grace of of Christ and the example of Jesus, people choose to be generous. The second point he brings, the why behind his call for generosity is we give as a demonstration of the gospel. We give to demonstrate what was done for us. The way we speak, the way we serve, the way we give, the way we act, the way we gather, all of these things consistently in this first letter to the people of Corinth has been based on, if Christ has changed you, you will be changed. And you will demonstrate that. You'll demonstrate the goodness of the gospel verse 9. We're going to read this just a few times this morning because 2 Corinthians 8, 9 is fundamental to understanding the why behind generosity. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. How do you and I, shaped by the cross, live our lives in such a way that people know, that, know more than that we're right about theology, Or that we're right about this position? How do they know that we are made, that we live righteous lives because of the one who died for us? The one who shaped us by his sacrifice? The one who altered our existence so that we might be a blessing and a light to those who don't know him? How does the gospel affect giving? I hope this isn't a self-serving illustration, but let me loop back to where I began to tell you why I began that way. My mom and dad gave us chores, and that's okay. We should have served chores. And the dishes were the worst thing they ever gave me. I could take out the trash. I could work in the yard. I could do all that stuff. It never bothered me as much as that routine that every night I was gonna be in the kitchen for a period of time doing something I didn't wanna do. But you know what I find really funny? I may even say it's ironic, but I don't think that's fair. What I find funny now is if I'm at my mom and dad's place and I go in the kitchen now to clean up the kitchen after we have a meal, my mom loses her mind. That same woman who for like never did dishes, now if her son and daughter-in-law go in the kitchen to clean up afterwards, she's like, you sit down, you're guests in my house. Why wasn't I a guest when I was 11? (laughs) That's what I want to know. But the truth is, you know what's fun? It's actually fun cleaning up the kitchen now. It's actually fun serving my mom and dad. you know why? Because I grew up. Because when I realize all they've done for me and all the sacrifices they made and how well they loved me, why in the world would I not get up and take care of the trash and do the dishes and wipe things down and put things away? You see, when I was a kid, I was made to do it because I was a baby and a brat. As an adult, it's a joy to do it. And I love telling my mom, you just be quiet and sit down, old woman. I got it. She's like, well, you won't know where it goes. You don't either. You'll find it later, Right. Why am I sharing that story? Not because I'm the hero, because part of growing up is realizing the joy of just doing what you're supposed to do because you know why you're doing it. It's living out. I am actually, in a way, by doing the kitchen in my mom's house, loving her the way I should have loved her for free when I was a kid. And Paul is saying to the churches, there's an opportunity in front of all of us to be generous because it demonstrates how the gospel has changed us and how the gospel sacrifices for others. Third thing that we do, this is the why, we give to promote thanksgiving to God. We give because of abundance of grace, we give because it demonstrates the gospel, and we promote our thanksgiving to God. We give because he deserves it. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I love this. You'll be enriched by doing it. You will demonstrate generosity in a world that doesn't understand it. And God will receive Thanksgiving for it. This is why we're to give. And so if we get caught up in the, well, how, right? How do I have to? And and what's the minimum amount? And, And so on and so forth. Stop, 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 stop. When you're worried more about the how than the why, because this is it. When you understand why we're generous, the how takes care of itself. The how's not an argument. People want to know, well, how much do I have to give? And does it have to be that? Is it always 10%? Can it be less? Can it be more? What can it be? And I'm not even going to answer any of those questions today, not because I'm afraid of hard conversations, but because we're missing the point. We're asking the wrong question. How we give is simply comes from the heart for why we give. But jump back with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the first four verses. This is where Paul explains the how. It's real simple, and I won't spend a whole lot of time on it because it's, it's applicable to every single person. And he just gives simple standards that he asks of God's people who have been blessed by grace, who want to praise God and live out the gospel, this is what we will do. First of all, each gives. Each one of us will give. Verse 2. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money. It's clear. This is not written to certain members of the church. It's not written to the elite. It's not written to the rich. It's written to every single person who's been blessed by the gospel that each one of us will give if Christ has been a blessing to us. It just makes sense. The same grace of God that saved all of us and the same cross compels us to give so that others might know the story of the gospel. The next thing he teaches is that we give together. There are no heroes in this. Some will give so much more than others because of their place in life, but all of us give together. He says in verse two again, you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. You might, well, what's the most important part of this giving together? It is saving it up. Here's the, here's a flaw in the American system. Because of the way our finances are set up in America, we believe there's always going to be more. Right. I remember my grandfather embedding that in my head as a young child, having his living through the depression. It's like, how do you know there'll be more? How do you know you'll have a job in a month? How do you know you'll have this? And boy, our whole economy's been turned upside down because of the changes this year that caused everybody who thinks there's always gonna be a, a wealthy tomorrow to find out that there wasn't. And so in the midst of all of this, Paul says, you need to choose to save up now. Not Well, one day if, if there's a need, no, he says, every one of us, Should regularly put aside money for ministry so that when that opportunity arrives and there's a chance to bless somebody, you have the money ready to give. You are ready to give it so that every need can be met instantaneously and no collections will have to be made. No requests, here's an opportunity. People say, I've set aside this money for that. And we give together. Those monies were brought together as the church. You find it in the book of Acts that they brought their things together. They sold their possessions. They made sure that everybody had what they need. And where did they bring it? They brought it to the leaders of their local congregation who were entrusted by God with this. And that money was given to the needs. Paul said, I want you to all collect the money. I want you to put it aside so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. You'll bring that in, <coughs> excuse me, and I will take it and deliver it. Well, actually, Paul says, I'm going to send someone to deliver it because Paul wanted to make sure that it was never about him. So we give together. In the book book of Acts, chapters 2 and 4 are examples of how the people of God understood this from the very beginning, that the message of the gospel needs to go out to all corners of the world, and they sacrificed each and every week to make sure that was possible. We give intentionally. Again, we're landing in these few, uh, few, rather, short four verses. But in verse two, he says, on the first day of each week, each one of you should put aside a sum of money. Now, some people get technical with this, and I don't think we need to. And let me I'm not trying to explain what Paul clearly says, but understand the context. Things were different in Paul's day than they are in ours. People, people get paid around here. People get paid weekly or by—you know, twice a month or monthly or quarterly or annually. And so he's not saying that You should set aside that every week is the important thing. He says, it's the concept of when you're paid, when you're compensated. You should set aside the amount of money to honor God, to to make a sacrifice for this purpose so that the gospel message goes forward. They didn't have bank accounts. They couldn't draw advance on their paychecks. So when they got paid, they set aside that amount of money and they gave their first fruits to the Lord, not their last, not what was left. But they made a choice in the very beginning that when I get paid, I'm going to give this amount of money to ministry and they set it aside, and they dedicated it to the Lord, and it was given. And so where your first week comes from is really up to you. If you're paid monthly, then when you're paid, Paul encourages all of us. Each one of us should give. We should give together corporately, no heroes, no saviors, everyone doing their part, and we should give intentionally. We should make a choice. And these are conversations. If you've never had these conversations in your family, Now would be a great opportunity to sit down and say, what could we give? What would we like to give so that the message of ministry goes throughout the globe? The cross compels us to intentionally give of everything we have as Jesus gave of everything he has. And the words put aside something in the original language is an ongoing imperative. In other words, let me tell you what that grammar says. It says to put aside something means continuously ongoing. Not a one-time thing, not a, well, this is a cause that's worthy. No, you you stop and you go, I'm going to continue to set aside funds for ministry as God gives me an opportunity to be a blessing. We give proportionately. Verse two, in keeping with your income. I could get into a lot of teaching right now, and I'm not intending to, and I'm not avoiding it, but it's just, it's not necessary to the core of what we're talking about this morning. But how much people give in keeping with your income. It's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. It's equal commitment. It's equal blessing. And some people in this room are able to write a big check, and some people in this room would be able to give a widow's mite each and every week. God will be honored by your commitment to Him, not the amount you give. It's a statement of commitment and purpose. And Paul knows that different members of the church have prospered financially and will give accordingly. And the principles in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 continue on these lines. Paul is consistent when he says that there's work in the kingdom that needs to be done and we can encourage those doing it. And we give with accountability. The last principle that Paul teaches is important. We give with accountability. And this is in verses 3 and 4. He says, then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. I like what Paul does here is he says, listen, I don't want this to be about me. And I and remember that there were some trust issues between Paul and this church. And Paul said, here, collect this money because I, I wanna be able to send it to Jerusalem and support the churches of Galatia and Rome that are sending monies also and the people of Macedonia. And we're gonna send all this together. He said, I'm gonna come get it. You guys collect it, you do with it. And then we'll send someone that you wanna send. And if you don't wanna send anybody, I'll take it. What's the point of this? This may seem like an incidental uh, moment between Paul and a church. Actually, it talks about transparency and accountability. One of the most dangerous things that has destroyed the church in my lifetime has been misuse of money, embezzlement, dishonesty, uh, people spending it on personal items that are not necessary while the purposes of the kingdom aren't being fulfilled, And so, in this moment, Paul just simply says we need to have accountability. Everybody needs to know your contributions to this church. You can get any question you want answered. I don't say that like there's a problem. I want to be honest with you. We are a debt free church because of the generosity of people. But don't think just because we're debt free means that the ministry that we see available to us in this county, in our state, in our country, throughout the globe, all of these opportunities are available. And we have more requests than we can receive. Or that we can take care of as we receive them. And I'm not, this is not a call to say, give more, give more so we can have a big bank account. I'm telling you, ask the Lord today what he wants to do in your life because he may open an opportunity to bless somebody in ministry in this area or throughout the world. For those of you that are giving and constantly have set aside the principles of stewardship and you're convinced of the generosity of God in your life, thank you. Continue on, be faithful, continue on leading us and setting examples. For those of us that struggle with this and we wonder, remember the why. Because of the abundance of God's grace, for the opportunity to present the gospel and to give thanksgiving to God, would you join us in serving and sacrificing and supporting ministries throughout the world that need served? How does this all come back to Jesus? Well, it comes back to the why. When Jesus asks us to do this, He doesn't ask us to punish us. This is not a guilt offering. This is not paying him back. This is simply answering and asking this question in our heart. Are you allowing the grace of the cross to work in you to advance the grace of the cross in someone else's life? Are we seeing the opportunities we have to make whatever sacrifices we can so that others know the Jesus we know, so that God is honored? I know this is such a goofy illustration, and I'll be made fun of it, but it's all I had. Will you walk in the kitchen and do the dishes? Will you get up and say to, to God, "I see the work you're doing in the world, and I want to be a part of it. I want to do the most menial things. If if I just have to show up." Remember a story Max Lucado tells, and I'll close with this. He said that when a family member of his died, I believe it was his uncle, and it was an uncle he was close to. When his uncle died, he said there was a little woman that came in the back door of the house where they were having the gathering after the funeral. And they're having the family dinner. And he said, this little woman came in. He didn't know her name, but she walked in the back door. She went into the kitchen. She put on an apron. She started doing up dishes. She started wiping down counters. She started taking the dishes as people ate and brought them back to the kitchen. She cycled all of that. He said she never said a word. She just finished up, folded up her apron, walked out her door and went home. And he said, I know what her name was. Her name was Jesus. And that's all that we needed to know. Paul calls us to be sacrificial givers because we will be a blessing to those who honor Jesus. We will be a blessing to those who need to know Jesus. We will uplift the name of Jesus in a world that needs to know our God is kind. Our God is generous. Our God notices. It's an opportunity for us this morning. We're gonna ask you to remain seated for just a few moments. And Chip's gonna lead us in a time of prayer, a time of meditation and thoughtfulness about the opportunity we have To do these little things of faith that make a difference. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.